As you guys are grabbing a seat, if you don't mind, open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, as you're turning there, my name's Trey Corey. I'm the campus pastor here, and we're just grateful to see so many of you guys back in town. Uh, also, to me, I'll, I'll just say, uh, this is probably one of my favorite times of year. Uh, football is literally around the corner. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And we have so many new people entering into Bryan College Station. So many Blend students, Aggie students that are either entering in for the first time or returning back to town from the summer. Uh, they're descending upon HEB like a swarm of locusts consuming every fresh produce in a 10 mile radius, but we love it. Uh, also, so many new families that we've been seeing through our doors every Sunday morning for the last few weeks and months that are entering into new communities, entering into new schools, and trying to build new relationships. And so for the fall, there's so much newness, so much energy, so much excitement, but every time I think about kind of this moment, people entering into communities, I think back to some really dear friends of mine that were newly married years and years ago, entering into a part of Houston known as Clear Lake. Any Clear Lake people? All right, just a few of you, proud and strong, I love it. Uh, they were entering in, they were young in their marriage, they were entering into this area, and they were wanting to make a mark, wanting to make an impact in this new community, and so they were invited to a St. Patty's Day costume party. And so they thought they would do what most people would do, which was go all out for it. They thought, let's make a mark our first moment into this community, and let's really, let's be known and let's know some people. And so we'll just call my friend for the sake of the morning, Chad. Chad Murphy, which just happens to be the name of one of our deacons here as well. But Chad and his wife, they wanted to kind of make a mark in this community, and so they decided to go all out. And so Chad bought green tights and went with a full leprechaun outfit, all right? And so they step into this party, and really because of the complexity of the outfit, they were one of the last people to show up to the party. And so they knock on the door, and they throw it open, wanting to make this grand entrance. And what they quickly realized within seconds was not one person dressed up for the costume party. It was just a party, <laughs> and not one other person dressed up. And so these guys enter into this community to make a mark and make an impact, and this wasn't exactly what they hoped their first moment and their first memorable scene with these new friends was going to be like. I think for many of us, as we enter in a new community, it's actually not very intuitive how to enter in and how to make a mark and how to have a presence and an impact in a new community. For some of us, as, as we enter in for the first time, or even for some of us who have been in a community for a long time, one of the things that I find is that it's easy, in a sense, to have residence in a community because all you need is an address. But it's actually different to have a presence in a community because in order to have a presence in a community, you've got to have deep, uh, impactful relationships. And so really what I want to do with our morning as we think about Nehemiah chapter 2 and as we think about some of us entering into a new community, into this Bryan College Station area, whether you're new to it or whether you've been here for a while, is I want to think about and look at how do we enter into this community this fall in a manner that has a transformative presence in our community. Not just for us individually, but also for us collectively as a church. If I were to ask the question, what would it look like for Grace Bible Church to have a transformative presence in our community? What does that look like and how do we do that? Ultimately, I want to push us and I want to challenge us that ultimately, I think for many of us, what that's going to mean is that we have to stretch the scope of our relationships and the scope of our relational sphere. In order for us to have a transformative presence in the entirety of Brian College Station, you and I have to stretch our relational sphere and our relational scope because typically what we do is we huddle up amongst those that we're just like and we live life in this tiny little uh, quadrant of life where we go down the same streets, we live in the same part of town, we live in the same part of campus and ultimately to have an impact and to have a transformative presence in our community, we have to stretch the scope of our relationships so that we consider what does it look like to have an impact and have a relationship with every neighbor of Bryan College Station. 
I love Nehemiah chapter 2 because I think Nehemiah, unlike my friend Chad, is going to show us how do we enter into a community to have a powerful transformative presence in it. Nehemiah chapter 2 is going to show us that the first thing Nehemiah does is he's going to be one who listens and he learns in humility. Let's pick it up in Nehemiah, actually chapter 1, verse 3, that kind of sets the stage of the book. Nehemiah 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, we find this. That others come to Nehemiah and they say to him, the remnant there, the Jews that are still in Jerusalem in the province, they are sur- survived the captivity, are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. This report comes to Nehemiah and his heart's going to be moved. So he's going to go in front of the king. The king's going to grant him his request and he's going to go back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And I want you to see how he actually enters into the city. Chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. Nor had I as of yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. It's fascinating to me as Nehemiah has a heart for what's going on in his community and returns back to it. And he's going to have a heart and a vision for what's been reported to him. He's going to have a commission from God and a commission for the king. And he shows up into Jerusalem. And the first thing that he does for three days is essentially he listens and he learns. Or put it this way, there is no public service announcement. There is no grand entrance as he returns. He does so much of this in secret, so much of this in solitude, as he's just listening and as he's learning. In fact, there's also serious inspection as he's going to go throughout the city from one gate to the other. I can show up a map, but basically he's going to move through at least half of the Jerusalem area from one gate to another, inspecting the walls, understanding the situation, because ultimately he has an understanding and assumption about the problems of the community from the outside, but before he ever acts or does anything, he wants to experience it himself from the inside. He's going to listen and he's going to learn as he navigates through the situation. I've laughed and I've thought about my friend Chad as he entered in that community that if he would have listened and if he would have learned for a little bit longer, he would have realized that most of the neighbors that were at this party were NASA engineers, right? (laughs) No NASA engineers dressing up for a costume St. Patty's party. If he would just have slowed down and listened and learned for a little bit longer, he would have had a better idea of how to enter in and be a part of the community. Nehemiah is going to stop and he's going to listen and he's going to learn for this first few steps. There's no grand announcement. There's no public service announcement. There's no, I'm here to solve and fix everything for you. There's an entrance in to listen, to learn, to build relationships and to be a part of the community. It's fascinating to me as he does that because ultimately I think for us as a church, we so often are poor at this. That I think to listen and to learn as we move into a community requires humility. Requires humility. It's not an assumption that as we come into a community that we're going to fix everything because we're here and we have all the answers. That from the outside, all we have is assumptions as to the challenges of a community. But once we're in it and we listen and we learn and we move in and we build relationships, then all of a sudden we have the opportunity to have not just relational capital. We have the opportunity to experience it from within and be a part of the community. I think for many of us, as we think about even our own presence in a community, I think for so often us, uh, we think about our world and it's often pretty small. 
I travel down the same streets to and from work. I travel down the same spots, the same places I shop, visit, and go out to eat. That really, the thing about the Bryan College Station community at large, my world and my experience of it, to be perfectly honest, is often pretty narrow and pretty small. Whether it's because of efficiency or just because of comfort or whatever, that I can live in a broad community like this, but have a pretty narrow experience and exposure to it. And so ultimately for us as individuals or for us as a church to have a transformative presence in our broad community that for every single one of us is going to require that our relational sphere is broadened and stretched. We talked a little bit this morning about international students and the big give. It's the first moment in which we're saying, hey, what would it look like for us to move in and move towards international students that are showing up? That maybe that's not a natural course that we would have run. Maybe that's not a natural direction that we would have built relationships. But what would it look like if we stretch our sphere just a little bit to move towards and represent not just Grace Bible Church, but to represent Jesus Christ to a community that's entering into this community for the first time? What does it look like if we are being willing to stretch our relational sphere and really be pushed into areas that we might not normally go? For many of us, I think that's thinking about neighbors that we see. Uh, How often and how many of us are living in a community and we don't know the names of the people on our street or even in our cul-de-sac? What would it look like if we just simply walked across the street to the neighbors that we see and slowed down? Maybe not this afternoon in 103 degree heat, maybe in the morning, right? If we actually had a conversation in a mailbox, if we actually had a conversation in our front yard, what would it look like if we slowed down even in our workplace and had a conversation across the cubicle across the way? What would it look like if we slowed down and we had a conversation with another parent at the very soccer or football field that we're going to be at with our kids at practice twice a week this year? Instead of being in our phone, what if we lifted our eyes and moved across the way and actually had a conversation and engaged and stretched our relational sphere often into and in front of the very neighbors that we see that we just need to be pushed and to be challenged to engage at a deeper level? Also, what we want to talk about this morning, though, is not just the neighbors that we see that we naturally have an opportunity to interact with, but also the neighbors in our community that we often don't see. What would it look like if we intentionally and purposely, because it does not going to happen by default, stretched ourselves, went out of our normal course of paths and roads, and actually began to step into communities and entered into them to listen and to learn, and to broaden our relational sphere and our relationships with people that don't look like us, that don't frequent in the same places, and to be broadened and stretched so that our church has a transformative presence in our community at large. What would that look like? I think Nehemiah provides us a perfect example that it begins with a willingness to move into these places, both of the neighbors that we see and the neighbors that we don't see, and to listen and to learn in humility. Not assuming that we have all the answers, not assuming that we understand all the challenges from the outside, but to step in and to listen and to learn and build relationships and know stories and to know people. It's fascinating to me as Nehemiah goes on, because the second thing that he does is he's not just going to listen and learn in humility, but he's also going to be, he's going to serve in partnership. Notice his response here in verse 17. Notice what he says. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation that we are in. The Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. I love what he says here in verse 17 after he spends three days listening and learning, not publicly announcing his presence, not publicly announcing his plan. As he says to the people, look at the situation that we are in. It's a small moment here in verse 17, but there's a pronoun in it that I think is absolutely essential. He doesn't say, look at the situation that they are in. He says, look at the situation that we are in. Pronouns mean everything. Some of us who are married realize this when my wife says to me, hey, honey, I think that we need to take out the trash. I don't think she's picturing that we're going to collectively walk together with a trash bag, right? I think she's suggesting that I take out the trash, right? 
Let me move it out of the marriage realm to the athletic realm and say this. For some of us that are super excited about our Texas A&M football team in year two of Jimbo Fisher, uh, that are soaking up everything online or on Tex Ags, as you think about the, te- uh, the A&M football team, are you thinking about them and speaking about what they're going to do? Or are you speaking about what we are going to do? Because we are the 12th man as if we're actually on the field, right? No, you speak about how we're going to do this year. Are we going to have a better record than last year? You don't say, how are they going to do, right? Why? Because pronouns often show and highlight your identity and your connection to something. Ain't in football is not something that is out there that others care about. It's something that so many of us care about that we identify ourselves as if we're a part of the team going to be catching touchdowns and running the ball. Nehemiah steps into the community. He identifies himself with the community and with the relationships and the neighbors that are there. And he says, look at the situation that we are in. He identifies himself in the problems. He owns it. He identifies with it. He has a care for it. When his relational sphere has been broadened so that he looks at the community at large, he speaks of the community at large as we and not they. By and large, I'd say the church often is not very good It's stepping out of its small little world to think about the community at large. Why? Because often when we think about the community at large and the challenges that exist even in Bryan College Station alone, sometimes we speak about those challenges that others experience as they, what they're going through, and it's not something that we own, identify with, or have a care and a compassion for. And our pronouns give us away. When we're willing to listen and learn, when we're willing to stretch our relational sphere, all of a sudden our pronouns begin to shift and all of a sudden our heart begins to shift. We begin to speak about the community at large as us. Not as a church, as a little country club that's pulled off in a bunker that's hidden away, pulled out of the world, but as a mission and an army that's commissioned out into the community to identify, to care about the community at large for its good and to engage in it. We're so poor sometimes at listening and learning and moving and stretching. But when we do, when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to step into places that we may not naturally go, when we're willing to build relationships in parts of the community that we have ideas about but have no understanding of or no relationships in, all of a sudden, not just our relational world broadens, but our emotion and our heart begins to broaden as well. And all of a sudden, we begin to care about the community in a profoundly different way. And all of a sudden, we begin to speak of it in a profoundly different way as we see just with our pronouns alone. Nehemiah is going to speak of himself as a we and the problems, and then he's going to make a solution that's also a we. Notice verse 17, you see the bad situation we are in. The Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burdened by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. See, when you and I begin to think of the community as a we, all of a sudden we begin to come up with solutions and plans that look different, that are not just something for someone, but something with someone. When you and I identify ourselves with the community at large and we begin to step into places we may not naturally go and begin to identify with the problems of our community in a profoundly different way, all of a sudden we don't speak about the things that are happening to those people. We speak about the things that are happening in our community and all of a sudden then we begin to make solutions and plans that look different, that are not for them, but are with them and alongside of them. What would it look like if our church had the opportunity this fall to make an impact and have a transformative presence with every single neighbor of Bryan College Station? It's going to require that our relational worlds are broadened. It's going to require that we have the willingness and the humility to listen and to learn and to step into parts of the community purposely and intentionally, not with pride and arrogance as if we're going to make a huge impact and we have all the answers. With humility to listen and learn, to build relationships, to understand stories, to understand the challenges that exist. And then all of a sudden we begin to own and identify with those challenges. We begin to make solutions that look different. 
Not from us on the outside coming in and then leaving. But for those of us moving in, building relationships, having a presence that begins to come up solutions in which it's not for a group, but it's with a group and alongside of a group for the betterment of the community. Ultimately, we are a church that is gathered for worship, to know Jesus Christ, to walk with Jesus Christ, that has small groups to build community, to challenge one another. But ultimately, we're also meant to be a church that's commissioned and sent out. To have a presence in our community, in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, but ultimately even to the ends of the earth. We're a church that's called, that's sent out. Identifying with Jesus Christ for the purpose of Jesus Christ, for his advancement of his kingdom. And so, my challenge for us this morning is simple. For many of us, we can bury our heads and kind of create a small little world. What would it look like if we broadened that this fall? What would it look like if we stepped into spaces and stepped into relationships, stepped into parts of the community that we've not historically had a presence in? What if it looked like then as we built those relationships for our hearts to grow and begin engaged and begin to think through how do we make an impact in our community at large? I think for many of us, the challenge is sometimes we often have a limited world that we look down, but then when we begin to look up, when we actually begin to see more broadly in our community, the challenges are complex, the challenges are huge, and we don't even know where to start. It becomes incredibly overwhelming. How do I have, a, in, in my own life, with my limited time, how can I have, a, have an impact? How can I have a transformative presence in my community in any profoundly significant way? We just get overwhelmed and we get discouraged and we think, I don't know what to do. This is one of the reasons why we have the opportunity that we partner with a series of community organizations right here in town that are experts in some of these areas that we have an opportunity to partner with and serve in partnership with. And so what we want to do this morning as we wrap up, Ryan Pell is going to come up and kind of help, help us have a sense of, as I think about stepping in our community, ultimately, where do we even start? What is it that we have an opportunity to do? What can we do? Where do we start? How does it look? One of the reasons why I'm excited for you guys to hear from Ryan is also right now he's our interim youth pastor, but as we continue interviewing and find someone to lead our youth ministry, then he's going to step into a new role alongside of Blake and I, bringing leadership to and stepping into a role in which we're calling it the pastor of community and care. As he's going to help us think and help train us and challenge us to have a transformative presence in our community. He's going to highlight a few of the organizations that we have an opportunity to have a relationship with in terms of what they're doing and helping us begin to have some ideas as to where do we even start? What could it look like this fall? Where do we begin? And what do we here as a campus here at Southwood begin to step towards and have an opportunity to collectively be a part of? And so you guys have an opportunity as Ryan wraps this up. Appreciate of you for your time this morning. Thanks, Trey. Good morning, everybody. Hey, thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, Thank you so much for allowing me to be up here. Thank you so much, Trey. Really appreciate it. Uh, As Trey was talking, I thought about uh, that famous passage in Luke 10, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Y'all remember it was uh, this major road that was on the way from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It was a road that was traveled all the time. Uh, And as you remember, as Jesus was telling the story, there was a man who was just beaten and left for dead. He's sitting on the side of the road, bloodied and hurt. And there's three guys that passed him by. One was a priest, one was a Levite, and one was a Samaritan. And so if we imagine ourselves walking those steps that those three men uh, walked, we can almost see this man who is destitute. We have to see his blood. We hear his moans, his cries for help. Uh, we smell the smells, we feel it, we sense it because we're, we're passing by him. He's in proximity to us. And the priest and Levite move on, and of course the Samaritan, as we know the story, the Samaritan takes amazing care for this person at the risk of his own life. But it's not really like that today anymore. In our society today, we have the ability to kind of drive past the man who's destitute. 
we can live our lives in a way that we get to kind of pick who we become neighbors to. So I live in a neighborhood where there are no destitute people. I go to a school where I don't see the destitute people. If I'm driving in my car and I see somebody who's poor and destitute and outcast, I don't have to feel their presence. I don't have to see them. I don't have to hear their groans, their cries for help. I can drive right on past. Or if I want to avoid it altogether, I just drive around. We've set up so many aspects of our society to be able to not see everybody, especially the poor and the destitute in our community. Not just here, it's everywhere. So as Grace Bible Church, as we take uh, very seriously what it means to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to love our neighbors as ourselves, what that means for us is that there are no unseen neighbors in our community. We want to work diligently, as all of us walk faithfully with Christ, we want to work diligently to make sure that we see every neighbor, that we are involved in their presence, that we care for them. This is why nonprofits exist, though. Trade mentioned there's, we have like 10 partnerships that are in this community. They do some amazing work. And we have sponsored them, we have helped them, we have sent volunteers to them, and we're so proud of that. We get to, because of these nonprofits, we get to see the destitute, the poor, the neglected. We get to see them, we get to serve them, we get to be impacted by them, and it's been beautiful. But the hard thing is, since there are 10, we can sit up here and we can say, oh my gosh, let me tell you all about this one, okay? And let me tell you all about this one, and then let me tell you all about this one, and then this one, and this one, and this one. And we get overwhelmed. We kind of think, oh my gosh, where do I begin? I mean, that's great that they're doing things. And then we, you know, hop in our cars, go to lunch, and then forget about it. So we want to make sure, and we've been challenged, to have a narrow focus, a laser focus. Who are going to be the unseen neighbors that we're going to pay attention to? Who are the ones that we're going to care for? Who are the ones that we're going to invest our lives and our calendars and our money in? So there's a few partnerships that we have that we're going to, as the Grace Bible Church Southwood campus, that we're going to support. The first one is Habitat for Humanity. Y'all have no doubt heard of Habitat for Humanity. It's kind of a staple, a household name uh, at this point. For those of you who have been in Bryan College Station over the last 10 years, you have seen our community boom. This place is alive with energy. We have the AM campus. I think they took off like the, the, the top, the lid. So like, hey, we'll take 80,000 people at our campus and it's going to be amazing. And so the AM campus has grown. The Blinn campus has grown. Rellis campus has grown. We also have so many young families that are moving into our community and it's amazing. It's so alive with energy. And as somebody who's been here since 97, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited to see families relocating here. It's so much fun. But in the midst of this boom, in the midst of all of this catering toward uh, college students and young families and retired communities, in the midst of this, there's also kind of a, uh, a collateral situation that's happening. Our affordable housing opportunities have plummeted. We have, over the course of those last 10 years, we have seen people in our community leave and go to Hearn. Brian's experiencing it too. So they're going past Brian, they're going to Hearn, they're going to Houston, they're going all over the place because there are no affordable housing opportunities here in Brian and College Station. And that's where Habitat steps in. Habitat for Humanity, they build affordable houses. Not so that people could rent, not so that they could have slumlords uh, taking advantage of them, no, so that they could own so that they could be proud to be homeowners. Some of them, many of them are first-generation homeowners. So what Habitat does is they say, okay, if you're struggling 
with housing security. You're struggling to find good, affordable housing. Hey, come to us. They fill out an application and uh, they commit to saying, hey, we're going to save up money because we've got to buy a house. Yes, it's, it's affordable, but it's still money. So they say, you got to save money and you got to put in some work. You got to swing hammers for your house and for other people's houses. And then you got to save some more and you got to work a little bit more. It's a development-minded uh, community partnership that we are just fully invested in. Now, what that means is um, on October 5th, we went for all of us, this Grace Bible Church, we went for us to go out and to participate in one of the builds. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and pull out your phone or your calendar for permission. Please don't, if you see Instagram, don't, don't fall into temptation. Keep going. I know, I'm going to lose you all for like 20 minutes. You're not in the bathroom. All right, so um, pull out your phone, open up your calendar, or pull out your calendar if you like to write. Uh, so go to October 5th, all right, and just be like, okay, do I have it open? It's great. Uh, on October 5th, we would like to invite all of you to do one of two things. One is uh, to come and participate with us on one of the, one of the builds. Trey and I are going to be there, um, and we would love to have as many of our Southwood family out there at the build as we can possibly get. So please attend. Please be with us. If you're 13 or if you're 83, if you have an amazing skill that's relevant to home building or if you've never picked up a hammer and everything in between, you're welcome to come out there. We would love to see you. Second thing, though, is uh, put it in your calendar if you can't come, because please pray for us. Please pray for us as we, as we go out there. Pray that we would be what I know that Grace Bible Church Southwood could be, and that is a relational people, a people of God who bring not only the hands and feet of Jesus, but also the proclaimed gospel of Christ. Please pray with us that we would, we would be bold in our relationship with other people, that we would leave that yes great that we got to help build an affordable house, but also that we would have made a new friend, maybe even the client, the future homeowner, and said, hey, come over to my house, hang out with me, hang out with my kids, hang out with my roommates. Those are the relationships that get to happen through these opportunities like Habitat for Humanity. So October 5th, pray for us or build with us. You're going to have opportunities as you leave. I mean, you're going to have to dodge people as you go back out to your cars. Like, you're going to have to be, like, ninja-like to avoid the people that are just coveting your presence at their table. So you can go out there, find Habitat's table, find out how you can get involved, and we would be so grateful. Another thing, side perk, okay? So if you have, uh, those of you who have been reaching out to, maybe you have a neighbor or coworker or a friend or family member or whatever, and you're like, we've done a great job, or I've done a, I've done a good job of kind of uh, building a relationship with them, but gosh, I'm having a hard time just kind of turning it into a spiritual conversation. Uh, if you're like me, that's kind of where you camp out. Like, I have the hardest time. It just has not become natural to me yet to where I move it to a spiritual conversation. If that's you, bring that person with you, please. And there are spiritual conversations laying all over the place that you can have with this person. Let me tell you why it's important for me to look after these people. Let me tell you what it's like, or, or let me give you the reason why I'm out here swinging a hammer. Let me tell you what love looks like. There are spiritual conversations all over the place at these builds like Habitat for Humanity provides. So that's one option. That's one of our partners. Another of our partners is the B community. I'm so proud of 
the bee community, the work that the bee community does. Um, essentially, uh, what they do is they, um, uh, Taylor and, and others, uh, realize that uh, 80% of people with developmental and intellectual disabilities um, are, are jobless. Like, there's, uh, there just aren't opportunities out there for them to, to participate in what God created all of us to do, which is to rule the earth, so do it, be fruitful, and multiply. In other words, to cultivate the earth. That's in all of us. That desire to do that is in all of us. So we have 80% of this population that just doesn't have those opportunities. And so the bee community exists to offer innovative work, an innovative work community that provides a sense of belonging and respect for adults of all ability levels. And they're called artisans. They're called artisans because they are artistic. They create beautiful things. In the Ed Wing, here at Southwood, on Tuesdays through Thursdays, from 9 o'clock a.m. until 3 o'clock p.m., beautiful things happen over there. Beautiful things like uh, somebody shredding paper because it's helpful to the church or to other businesses. Beautiful things like these artisans of all different levels and capacities creating these amazing products. You've seen these... uh, Soap is like an art. I had no idea. But creating this beautiful, these beautiful soaps and these dog treats, on and on the list goes. There are these amazing high-quality products that are offered for sale all throughout our community. And they benefit the bee community. Beautiful things happen over there. Lives are changing. Um, there was a philanthropy, uh, a philanthropic uh, organization on campus who, uh, who just, they found out about B. And so they got involved, they volunteered, they studied it, learned about it. And, uh, and, and one of the people, well, and they ended up giving money, which big win. Um, so uh, after that, though, one of the people that was involved in, uh, in the B community, they, uh, he, he kind of participated and then he said, that changed how I view my work. See, what had happened for him uh, was that he was in a situation where sometimes, and for some of us in here, it's kind of hard to find that connection. Like, is our work meaningful? Is the stuff that I'm doing meaningful? Some of us, it's really easy to find, but some of us, it's really hard to find the meaningfulness of our work. And so this man walked into the B community and said, oh my gosh, these people are loving their work because they're getting to tap into who God created them to be. They're getting to tap into the fact that they're building with their hands. So now it no longer matters what you're doing per se. You could be managing or advertising or selling or cleaning or teaching everything, but you're participating in what God created you to be. So if you're interested in getting involved in the bee community, they need volunteers. And we would love for you to be transformed as you're participating in the transformative work through the B community. Please help us. Again, they're going to be out, at the, uh, out in the awning, I guess it's called, uh, outside. Uh, there's AC out there, right? Good. No, there's no AC. <laughs> so please hang out. So finally, there's a ministry called Youth Impact. Oh, Youth Impact. Youth Impact has changed my life. Um, in October of 1998, um, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and, you know, you don't win those. Um, so I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit uh, where I was, I was having to tease out some kind of uh, racism and some prejudices that I just carried around with me. Just had no idea growing in the Lord, but had no idea that these things are there. So the Lord, as he does, he led me into, like, the last place on earth I would think to go. 
uh, I show up and I participate in Youth Impact. What Youth Impact is, is it's a mentoring program. It's a discipleship program uh, for uh, marginalized children and youth in our community. And so, of course, the story goes, okay, I'm, I was a college student. I wanted to get involved. These, these kids need me and all my wealth of 18-year-old wisdom uh, and my theological premises and all that stuff. These students need me. And then I get in there and I realize, wait a second, the students already had Jesus. They were already finding out what it looks like to be content in the midst of a life that seems like something you could be discontent with. I found Jesus living there and thriving there in ways I had no idea about. I had no idea about. So what do they do? They, they come in under the premise of mentoring. On Thursday afternoons, college students show up in the neighborhoods. But throughout the week, college students are in the homes. They're hanging out in neighborhoods like J-Loop, Brian Arms, Emerald Park, West Side. Southgate, they're showing up in these neighborhoods, they're being embraced by the community, and they are learning. They're learning what it looks like to walk with Jesus because of these new relationships that are forged. We live in a culture, in a world where there is so much division, division, uh, race and racism and politics and, oh my gosh, you name it, and all of our blood blood pressure is going up, even as I say those nasty words. But I want to tell you, I'm here to tell you, You have ministries like Youth Impact, believers in the gospel of Christ that stand right in the middle of those conversations. And they don't take to platforms on Facebook or rants with their friends. No, they go and they build relationships that stand as a reconciliation practice in our community. There's mutual transformation that happens there. And if you ever come across a Youth Impact leader, I want you to ask them how their lives have been transformed by the relationships that they've built in that ministry. So for you college students, I would encourage you to get involved in something like this. Your life will never be the same. The way you view the world will never be the same. It takes time and it takes work. And there's a little bit of a process where you have to unlearn some things that you've learned. Some assumptions that you've just kind of brought to the table, but it's absolutely worth it. Youth Impact will be outside uh, as well. So as I conclude... Um, One of the things that I find kind of interesting about our faith, there's a lot of things that are really interesting. One of the things that I find really interesting about our faith is that it uses language like um, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is to visit, to care for. We have strange language like uh, blessed are the poor, as Jesus says in Luke in the Sermon on the Plain. Um, we have models of uh, the, the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man lives his life avoiding Lazarus, who was down and out. He was destitute, um, and the Lord used that situation. A strong case could be made that our faith is stunted if we aren't interacting with the poor and the destitute. We have Jesus identifying with them in Matthew 25 as well. There's something that happens in our encounter with the poor and the destitute. There's something that happens in those relationships that allows us to have powerful encounters with Christ himself. So we can be great Bible study leaders. We can be great parents. We can be great at so many of the kind of traditional disciplines that we set ourselves to. But it's still going to be a little bit stunted if we don't, on some level, have some type of concern for the poor in our community. 
So what we've done in light of all of these things, we have done everything we can as a church to take away any of the barriers that you have to not getting involved on some level. Some of y'all are doing it individually. Some of y'all could use a, a help, just use an avenue through which you could serve. So all you got to do is look in your calendars for that October 5th date, Habitat for Humanity, please. But as you walk out, just walk by those booths, find one and just say, maybe you're not interested, but just say, hey, thank you for what you're doing. How can I pray for you? And just start there. And what we are going to do as a campus is we're going to celebrate the stories, the ways that we're seeing Christ move through his people in these organizations. Y'all pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Thank you. Um, thank you for giving us uh, your church. Thank you for the great call that you've put before us that we would proclaim boldly the gospel that we are sinners, we are all sinners and we're separated from God. But through you, through believing in your sacrifice, your death on the cross, we can be right with God again. Thank you for that gift. Thank you also that we get to proclaim that to others. And thank you, Lord, that we get to, with our actions and with our lives, we get to put on display that amazing gift to other people. Would you please help us to remove any barriers that keep us from doing that? Lord, for those of us who are parents that are trying to instill a sense of gratitude in our kids, help us to model that for them and invite them into uh, that type of uh, grateful lifestyle. We give thanks for all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. You may go and hang out with people outside.